I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. Our feature today is Dawn Lees. She's a copy editor, freelancer, and associate director of Wilkes University Graduate Creative Writing Programs. Her chapbook is called I Know When to Keep Quiet. Then I'm talking a little bit about one of our favorite institutions, the public library. Our feature today is Dawn Lease. She's worked as a copy editor, a freelancer, and even an admissions director and middle school English teacher. She's directed the writing programs at Wilkes University. Her chapbook, I Know When to Keep Quiet, was published in 2011, and her latest publication is entitled, Take Something With You When You Go. Welcome to Poetry Spoken Here, Lise. Thank you so much. Thanks for inviting me. I'm really excited to be here and, and to spend a Saturday morning talking about poetry. I noticed you have a tendency to write about personal things, personal experiences and, and that sort of thing. I would have to say that, yes, that is mainly what I do. There is definitely some fictional details that are intermingled in, in that personal narrative, but I, I do tend to write narrative poetry and really pretty steeped in my personal um, history, my the people in my life. Um, I definitely kind of pull into a lot of my poetry as well. And, um, and the places um, that I've lived growing up and where I currently live now, um, they, they tend to find their way into my writing most frequently. I am in Northeastern Pennsylvania currently, yes. I do, li I live in the Wilkes-Barre-Scranton area, yes. Fracking country. Um, there, there is, Fracking very cl close by, yes, and I've watched them put pipelines in, you know, beautiful mountains and, and cutting trees down and just, um, you know, putting scars on the, on the landscape in the last couple of years. And then, you know, once they leave and they, you know, put the grass over it, most people who don't know that those pipes are there probably have no idea um, when they're driving by it, but it's, it's been sad to watch, actually. Let's get into the personal rather than the social, I suppose, because sure. that's what your poetry is about. Okay. So how, why don't we just um, hear a poem? Okay. I always like to read, um, when I do read this poem, I usually read it first. It's called Ashes. It is part of my chapbook, which was really a journey through my childhood of moving from New Jersey to Louisiana to Texas and then to Pennsylvania. And this is a New Jersey poem from my early childhood, um, and it's called Ashes. My father was a volcano spewing lava that night. Tables became timber, curtains fell, walls crumbled. My mother was a hummingbird darting between him and us, wings humming false promises that evaporated in the heat. In the next room, my sister and I shared a double bed like we had shared our mother's womb, a tangle of legs and arms, her thumping heart close to mine. A sliver of light sliced our room as mother appeared, then disappeared again. I folded my arms and blinked like I dream of Jeannie. In the morning, we tiptoed over rocky landscape, washed our hands in ashes. We waited. Pretty intense. 
that that memory was not, you know, a calm uh, memory to to keep bringing up um, in my life. But um, you know, my father has been sober for forty one years now, so this is a reminder of what life was like before. But it's also a reminder of the life he has chosen to live each day and the different gifts that has brought to him and to our family and. So for me, it's kind of a shout out to him for, for the choices that he did choose to make um, instead of continuing down that path. It's a, so it's, it's a significant, like, there's probably a name for that, an event that's like that, you know? Yes. It's, a, it's very significant on its own. It's also a turning point, new direction kind of thing. Exactly. I agree. And, Yes. And I, and I suppose it, it embodies a whole lot of who you are. I think it absolutely you know, does. <laughs> or remind you of the things that went into you being who you are, I suppose. Yes. Yeah. Did that poem come very quickly or was it something you had to work and work to get the way you wanted it? You know, this, um, sure, this chapbook is part of my, um, my MA thesis that I did complete at Wilkes University. So it definitely went through several rounds of revision um, with feedback from my two mentors. And it's, um, I'd have to go back and look at the original. I don't think it's too far off. You know, sometimes I have poems that really don't look very much like their, their rough drafts, but yeah. I think this one is, is pretty close um, to the original, but they really definitely helped me just, you know, kind of hone it down to the words that needed to be there and, and get rid of the, the extraneous from what I remember, because this was written over 10 years ago now, I think. So uh, it, yeah. it wasn't one of those that was really hard for me to write. You know, I, I, mm. I think like any writer, there are some that just kind of come to me and, you know, then I tinker with it. And then there are other ones that right. just, I just want to never look at again because they're giving me such a hard time. So, um, but this one I don't think was one of those. I find the, the most common revision is deleting. Yes, I do too. <laughs> I mean, often there's just, I look at it later, and go, well, why did I want to? Absolutely, I totally agree with that. Let, let's hear another. This one that I'm going to read next is about, uh, I have adult, two adult children, and it's about them kind of going off and finding their way into young adulthood and leaving um, home and that my book takes something when you go there is a lot of the empty nest and what do you do next after you've so focused on you know being a parent and and these children who yeah. you just then send off into the world and they find their own way and this is about that and they both ended up in a city that i've always wanted to live in so the fact that they're both there um is both exciting to me and also a little bit unbelievable like why do i live where i live and you know now they're living in new york so um, this is called City Dwellers. I raised city dwellers deep in suburban trenches, bordering farmland and forest with a state park as a playground. Wine of Saturday morning lawnmowers, sting of weed killer. Houses buttoned up with central air, block parties and flashlight tag. I said no to walking to friends' houses on county roads, no sidewalks, a berm of rocky ditches. We spent their childhood in an SUV to and from school, piano lessons, soccer, and golf matches. After bedtime stories, I whispered prayers, please find your way. I packed lunch notes, you can go far. 
Now they travel I-80 through the Delaware Water Gap, its mountains russet across my home state, through the Lincoln Tunnel to Washington Square Park. Over the GW Bridge, north on the Henry Hudson to a Hughes Street off-campus apartment. Subway maps are decoded, routes memorized for the NQR, the 123, Metro North. They wander the streets from Alphabet City to the Upper West Side and see bands I have never heard of at Webster Hall and Terminal 5. They text and call home. There's no reason to return, I say. You've found your way. I'll find mine. I love those details. <laughs> Thank uh, you. Spend, spending all those afternoons in the SUV. The no sidewalks. That's a funny story because yeah. I was in graduate school and I was talking to one of the other mentors and she and I had children the same age. And I, you know, my son was, I think, 15 at the time. And I would not let him walk on this road because it was, you know, a twisty, turny road with no sidewalks and people never adhered to the speed limit. So I'm like, there is absolutely no way you can walk to your friend's house from here, you know, on that road. And then, you know, interestingly enough, I always ran on that road. And he'd be like, well, why can you run on the road? And I, you know, can't walk to my friend's house. And I'm like, because I'm the mom. So that's why. That's good. Yeah, that, 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 those kind of details just really make it. And then when then for me in terms of what it just makes me think of, you know, just mm -hmm. even the Delaware Water Gap, because I love it down there. That's just a great area along the river there. I love that um, area. Yeah, uh, I lived in it, I used to go down that, is it 212? I don't know, some road that kind of goes down along the river, I think. I can't remember the end. really neat. Going yeah, to the Dodge Festival. <laughs> oh, yes, I love the Dodge Festival. Um, <laughs> I loved it, especially when it was out in the country. I haven't been to it since it's been in Newark, but um, I love it down there. Mm -hmm. And New Jersey is that. my home state, so, you know, when I drive or get on the bus to go see my kids, it's just, you know, driving through the gap, and especially in the fall, you know, when all of the colors are out, and it's just, um, it feels like home to me sometimes. Let's see what I'll do next. Hmm. I'm going to read a poem um, called Reconciliation, which, you know, I think does have a personal bend to it. I brought in some details of New Orleans where I lived briefly when I was a child, but I think it does have more um, more general kind of meaning and just um, with kind of the personal under, um, underneath all of that. And it's called Reconciliation. We waded through the bayous of my childhood, black water, a witch's stew, churned below a canopy of arthritic branches. Veins of cypress and tupelo were mountains to climb. At ground level, no guide, only tendrils of light. No guide, we moved by touch. Humidity heaved a sigh and mildewed air squeezed our lungs into spontaneous words. At midnight, you played notes I hadn't yet heard. Thrum of jazzy bass migrated from the French Quarter. Mood music for the foreign territory we were now traversing. In the late hours of a melancholy night, we danced with stillness. Not worrying about cottonmouth venom, piercing pain of bite, we swam together day and night, then day again in those chicory waters, deep enough to tread face to face, lips close. By summer's waning days, I learned sometimes to move forward. You must go back. Yeah, that's an interesting, talk about an interesting place. 
you know, I was young. I like seven, eight years old. We only lived there for about a year and a half. Oh. Um, and I've actually never wow. been back. You know, I always say that I want to go back to see it. And now obviously after Katrina, it's, you know, a, a different landscape, but it's a place yeah. that always really stayed with me. I, I think the, the history of it and the lore of it and, um, you know, there's in, in my chapbook, there's a whole section of New Orleans poems that kind of hopefully bring some of that in. You know, we used to have Mardi Gras for school and, you know, things like that. So, it, um, yeah, I just I have very fond memories of, of that place that I try to yeah. bring into my poems sometimes. Yeah, it is a different and, and striking culture. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, really different than what we're what the rest of us typically experience. Yes. And different from, you know, my my family background of, you know, being kind of uh, working middle class, second or third generation, you know, in, in New Jersey. And, um, you know, my, my background's Italian and Hungarian and, and Irish. So it's, it's very different from that. Somehow mm -hmm. this flashed into my mind. Okay. Who are, your, who are a couple of your favorite poets? Oh, I, I, you know, it's funny you ask that because I'm like, I'm going to think about this in case he asks this. And I think staying with the New Orleans, I'm going to say um, her first, Cheryl St. Germain, who grew up in New Orleans. Um, I love her poetry. And she writes, a po she wrote a poem called Going Home New Orleans that I use a lot when I teach workshops because she really gets the sense of place in the word choice and the language she uses with the consonants and assonance and just kind of pushes all these words together that makes you really read the poem slowly and um, kind of like you're, you're in New Orleans and you have to kind of adjust yourself to, to that pace of life. So, and I love her essays too. So I really love her work. Sharon Olds is another big favorite of, of mine. Um, just, I've seen her read a couple times, saw her at the Dodge Festival. She's been here locally at a, a local university, and I just, I love her work. I mean, Stag's Leap is one, you know, I just kind of go back to every once in a while to, to read some of those poems. And right now, I'm reading Jay Perini's New and Collected, um, uh, I think, from mm -hmm. the early 80s to maybe 2015. And he is—he actually grew up in Scranton, and a lot of the the selected poems are. He has like a, a, a group called Anthracite Poems, and of course, being in this area, I've lived here, you know, close to forty years now. Is just—it's um, just so neat to see the details that he chooses and the era he grew up in when there were still the coal banks and you know the the mine subsidences and and, and everything. So I am really enjoying that collection right now. Yeah, Olds is one of my favorites. Yes. I started thinking, how long can she do these, you know? Yes. And then she comes out with another book, with another book of them. And I'm going, oh my God, how does she do that? Yeah. She's and, just able to mine that. And I think that's probably what I get drawn to um, from that as well. So, you know, because I do tend to write a lot about family too. So just love her work. Now, mm -hmm. is, how do you spell Cheryl's first name? It's S-H-E-R-Y-L. Okay. See, I get references from Eatery. This is great. Yes. Listening, that Cheryl St. Germain, highly recommended. Yes. She directs the uh, MFA program at Chatham in Pittsburgh. I think for me, it takes me to different places when I need to kind of hopefully decompress or contemplate things outside. It, it takes me outside, I think, of my own world, and it takes me into other places, and it gives me 
a different way to think about things. Like, for example, if I'm reading a political poem, like I, I look at that as different than when I'm trying to read or trying to avoid the, the you know, mainstream media news. Um, so for me, it's, it's just how many different worlds are really within our world and how a poet can just take you to a different place. And, and those moments when you read a line of poetry and you think, wow, that must have been so easy. Like, was that one of those inspirational things that just comes to you? And then oftentimes if you read an article or you talk to, they're like, no, that was like, you know, drawing blood for me. I, it was just difficult. So I, I think I marvel at the craft of how other poets write and put words together and phrases and, and you know, define meaning and metaphor um, in our daily world. So for me, reading is that. I think writing is probably a little bit of the same thing. I've been writing since I was probably 10 or 11. I didn't write poetry when I was younger. I mainly did short fiction. I didn't really start writing poetry until I was in my mid-20s. And for me, writing is a way to process the, the world around me. And, and because I do write so much about family and, and place, I think a way to process those memories, looking back on them as an adult or looking back, you know, to my children's childhood. Um, it's just a way for me to, to hopefully see it from a different perspective and hopefully give readers one of those moments of like, oh, I understand that. I've been there or, oh, that's something new for me. And I, you know, never thought of it something in, in that way. I, lo I love it when you have, when that experience happens, when in the course of writing a poem, you learn something in writing or revising the poem. Exactly. And then you go, wow, I didn't know that's what I thought. Exactly. So, so interesting. It is. And because exciting. It's mysterious. It's mysterious. True. Every once in a while, I read the people writing about creativity, talking about that, about how the, the artist interacts with the art. They make the final product, whatever it's going to be, the final object. Exactly. And I think I, what I also like about, um, for me, when I'm writing or when I'm thinking about like a, a topic, like when I start to think, oh, maybe I'm going to write a poem about this. For me, the the connection personally for creativity and some sort of movement, whether I am walking or whether I'm running or even just cleaning the house, you know, folding laundry or dusting or vacuuming. And that's, I. it must be a time when my mind can just really kind of settle in and start pondering um, the idea that I'm coming up with. So a lot of times I get those very first lines or um, a start of a rough draft when I'm when I'm moving so a lot of times if I'm at home cleaning I have to stop and write it down or um, a couple of months ago I actually sat down on a sidewalk in a in a neighborhood and I was writing on my phone and somebody came out of her house and she said are you okay and I said oh yeah I'm just writing and you know here I am in like my writing clothes writing on the sidewalk and she just kind of looked at me and, and smiled and said okay just wanted to, to double check and and then kind of just walked away and I just sat there and finished writing what I was and got up and finished my run so, <laughs> and it was mid run. It was mid run. Good. Yes. That's good. That's yes. good. Yes. <laughs> that, that's that. A poem about that someday probably would be interesting. Exactly. <laughs> it was just a neat little story. Yeah. Yes. Are you okay? No, I'm just. I'm just right. Yeah. You know, isn't this what normal yeah, people do? Just sit down on the sidewalk and write. Yeah. 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 What are you gonna do? I can't write while I'm running. What do you expect? Exactly. <laughs> Well, let's, let's, let's hear another poem. This is fun. Okay. I'm going to read a poem called Kith that um, is about my, my mom's family. I, she's 
one of eight children and I have such great family memories of my cousins and growing up and at the time there was only about nine of us and now it's like we have over 30 first cousins and about 35 second cousins so we've kind of just expanded our family but this is a childhood memory that um, my, my grandparents lived in this old Victorian house, this huge rambling um, house, and we just spent so many times. And one summer, we, for whatever circumstances were going on, we all kind of lived there and kind of came and, and went. And um, there, it was always the center of parties. And, um, and this is about one of those. It's called Kith. The party always began in the backyard, coolers filled with ice, beer, and soda, burgers spitting into lighter fluid and charcoal. A circle of lawn chairs with frayed webbing held ants in bell bottoms and halter tops. Their gossip only interrupted to yell at children running with sparklers in hand. Inside the Victorian, grandfather sat for hours at an old upright against the back wall of the dining room. A line of Budweiser cans sweated circles into the wood's grain. Playing by ear, he ran through his song list, always ending with Danny Boy, or when Irish eyes are smiling. Just as the marathon game of Jeopardy fired up around the mahogany table, siblings and spouses divided into teams with colored clickers in one hand, cores light and camels in the other. As the game entered its third hour, arguments rose over potent potables and who forgot to shout answers as questions. The kids, a patchwork den carpet, using each other as pillows, the youngest in charge of cranking the volume on the console to make Gilda Radner's laugh win over dining room noise. Cigarette smoke coiled, hung above the kids before escaping through open windows, dissolving into the dark backyard while mosquitoes skittered against dusty screens. Always a frenetic dance toward unreachable light. Wow. That gets it. Captures a real familial gathering. I, I love the picture of that kind of thing. My grandmother had a shore, and once in a while, a whole bunch of the family were there at this shore on the Chesapeake Bay. And it was just so cool, taking me back there. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think it's clearly, I grew up in the 70s, you know, with the board game Jeopardy and, you know, Gilda Radner on, on Saturday Night Live. Right. So, yeah. You tell students to help if they want to understand a poem better? Oh, that's a good question. I'm in the middle. I just started teaching a community. I teach community workshops. I don't teach undergrads. Um, and I like the community oh. workshop um, atmosphere in terms of teaching. And I think, you know, I just, I used a poem and now I'm going to blank on the name of it. It's a Billy Collins poem. I think it's called Introduction to Poetry. And it talks about people just trying to get at the meaning of whatever mm -hmm. the poem is when they're approaching it. And we yeah. talked um, last Monday night a little bit about, you know, why don't you look at the, the imagery that's in the poem and what do you think of the imagery and how does it make you feel? And, and yes, I think it's important, like, it, to understand what the meaning, maybe the main meaning that the poet is trying to give you, but also just to enjoy the poem, you know, and and feel what you want to feel when you're reading it. And and when I when we do discuss poems in this in this workshop, and I'll just say, well, you tell me. And and I think a lot of uh, teachers will say this, you know, there's no right or wrong answer. I want to see, like, from your perspective, what you see in this poem, because here's what I see, but you may see something different. And you know, I think when I do use uh, Cheryl's going home poem, 
I see something maybe a little differently because I've had that experience and that might be different than somebody who's never been to New Orleans, you know, to, to see New Orleans. So, um, so I think I just try to hopefully create an atmosphere where there's an openness to discussion and to, uh, to saying, okay, what, what are you seeing and what do you think about this metaphor and what do you think about this line break and do you think this line break adds meaning to the poem, and, poem or is it clunky or is it hard for you to read out loud, those kinds of things. But it's, I don't know, where do people get, you always have to wonder whether some primordial teacher snuck in real early when kids were young and told them they had to solve the riddle or is it, on, the, on the other hand, is it just a natural thing we do? Somebody gives us a bunch of words and we want to go, what does it mean? You know, that's a not used to appreciating it as just an aesthetic experience, like it just just art. What is it? Exactly, and and I think you're right. Like you know, is there that one main teacher that says to all of us, "You have to figure it out," and then we grow up, you know, with that in our subconscious, or is it just something that's mm -hmm. so in the human nature that we're like, we have to? It's a problem. It's a riddle, a puzzle. We have to figure it out. So I'm trying to do that. Mm -hmm less and less in my life, um, not just with poetry, just kind of take things at face value and kind of move through them and experience them. Yeah, somebody told me once, as, as a sort of analogy to poetry as well, if, if you went to a symphony, you wouldn't really, hear, wouldn't really hear every note, and you don't worry about that. So if you're reading a poem and you don't exactly know what every single thing, quote, means, or some of it doesn't mean anything to you, or you don't even notice it, so what? Lighten up. I like that. And just, as you said, try to enjoy mm -hmm. it. I might use that on Monday night when I go into my workshop. So thank you for that. Oh, great. Yes. <laughs> I personally thought that was really cool because, yeah, I mean, even a little string, even if there's only a string quartet, only four instruments, you're missing most of the details and you're getting a general whatever it's yes. feeling. Wonderful. Oh, great talking to you. So glad you could be here on Poetry Spoken here. Thank you so much. And now I'd like to talk a little bit about an institution we all love. Finished reading a wonderful book, Poets on the Peaks, about Gary Snyder, Philip Whalen, and Jack Kerouac's adventures in the Cascade Mountains back in the 1950s. I noticed this book in bookstores back when it was published in 2002, but by then I'd read enough books that rehashed the doings of the Beats and their friends, so I passed on it. I'm looking at that book and a few others together, and I'm thinking about how much I love the public library. Without the library, I might never have gone back to this interesting and informative book that not only sheds new light on the poets' lives and relationships, it also provides information about how the Forest Service worked in those days and what the work of a seasonal fire lookout is all about. Beside that book is the 1,200-page anthology, Classical Chinese Literature, Volume 1. I own that book because I checked it out of the library a few months ago, and I knew there was no way I could adequately deal with it before it would come due, even with multiple renewals. It's the kind of book I'll read and reread for many years. Another book I missed when it was first published almost 20 years ago. There's a book of prose by Carolyn Kaiser. The point I want to make is not just that libraries are fabulous institutions, 
but also that nothing beats the wonderful serendipity of wandering library shelves just to see what's there that might strike your fancy. It's convenient to browse and buy books online, but what I think of as creative learning is more likely to happen we're in the physical presence of books and can simply pull them down and take a look inside right there and then. Creativity calls for open-mindedness at the beginning of the process of problem-solving or artistic creation that leads to finding books you weren't originally looking for. That's how I happened to check out Proses, the book of essays about poems and poets by Carolyn Kaiser. I picked up a book of her poems and they looked good, thought I'd check it out. Then I saw Proses sitting there and thought, Indeed, why not? And it's not just the poetry. Browsing new acquisitions where all the disciplines are displayed together led me to Savage Girls and Wild Boys, which is not a B-movie. It's a history of feral children by Michael Newton. If you've ever thought about uh, Romulus and Remus, the founders of Rome, who legend has it were suckled by a she-wolf, well, that's the sort of thing this book is about. And so, not to belabor a point, the library is one of the great inventions of civilization. In fact, it helped create and helps maintain civilization. I want you to physically visit yours and spend a little extra time just browsing without a purpose. You've been listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm Charlie Rossiter, inviting you to join us again next time to let poetry speak to you. Music for today's program was written and performed by Jack Rossiter Mundley. And remember, Poetry Spoken Here is more than a podcast. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash poetry spoken here. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash poetry spoken here. For more about today's show and other Poetry Spoken Here podcasts, as well as our blog, just visit our website, PoetrySpokenHere.com. If you'd like to submit suggestions of poets or topics for future podcasts, you can send to our email address, PoetrySpokenHere at gmail.com.